listening to the Zenial Dadcast. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. This is Mo. Uh, on this episode, I'm sitting down with Grace. She's a mother of two, uh, the clinical director for the Home for Little Wanderers, and my lifelong cousin. Uh, we're going to sit down, we're going to dig into modern parenting and the challenges that our generation has to face, uh, as well as our kids, right? The, the generational challenges that they have to face. Our band to dig out is Abby Barrett, singer-songwriter from Boston. She's absolutely my favorite to listen to, and I hope you enjoy her tunes. Uh, all right, so without further ado, let's let's get into my chat with, with Grace. So as we get started, uh, Grace, what is your profession? What is it? What is your title? Sure. So I am a clinical director and I have a background. Um, well, I have a master's in clinical social work. Mm -hmm. And as a clinical director, I oversee um, clinicians or um, psychologists and clinical social workers who provide clinical um, services. That's what you're doing now. How long have you been doing that? Um, so I'm just started at this new company roughly about two months ago, but I was previously with another company for about two years. So I've been in like the administrative role for probably three to four years now. Um, and it's nice because the company I'm at right now, I actually work as the clinical director for a residential program where we have what we call latency age youth. So mm -hmm. um, about 13 years old and up wow. who for some reason or another circumstances in life, um, they don't have a place to live or they don't have those family supports. So they live at the residential program with us mm -hmm. um, to provide, to, you know, gain some civilization. And so my direct work is sort of overseeing the team that provides the direct services to them okay. and treatment. So it's like, it's definitely very much in a lot of ways, like rounded, um, cause I chose that field or I choose this, um, cause it definitely grounds me in my role as a parent, mm -hmm. um, and being mindful of just kind of like how privileged and blessed my kids are because, um, I have this insight that, you know, other kids' parents don't necessarily have, or they haven't had those um, those um, supports in place to kind of be able to sustain in like some sort of family, natural family setting. Is this a, is this like a state program or is it a, a, a private organization? Yeah, so it's not a state program. It's a nonprofit organization, but we operate under state contracts. So the children wow. that the youth that live with us in our residential care, um, they're under the care of the Department of Children and Families. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're under the state's guidance. Wow, that's amazing. And and like you said, you you uh, you work to support the people who work directly with the kids, right? So you're a part of the organizational infrastructure to make sure that they have the resources they need to provide the services they need to provide. To the yeah. Kids. Yeah. So I do like the supervision with the mm -hmm. clinicians, you know, like wow. the youth is our client. So each youth is our client, but mm -hmm. there's so many systems involved because there is, you know, there isn't necessarily like a natural family system kind of making decisions for them. It's mm -hmm. 
the state, it's the school, it's mm -hmm. multiple. So we kind of come in that into that as kind of like, okay, let's work with these these systems and let's help make the best decision for the these kids. I can definitely relate to the notion that what you're doing for a living helps you keep perspective with how lucky your kids are and what you're doing and how you're providing for your for your family. I feel the same way a lot of times, especially living here in Bolivia, you can get that perspective just walking down the street, just yeah. walking down the street and seeing it around you. You just go, you see like you see little kids who aren't that much bigger than Benny, you know, selling gum on the sidewalk. And yeah. it, it, it hits you hard. It's almost like on one hand, it's a it's, it's a good reminder. It's a good humbling reminder. But on the other hand, because you see it all the time, it can also sort of numb you to the realities that exist outside of your house, right? Yeah. You, how hard is it for you when you're uh, when Melanie, your your almost thirteen year old, when she's getting on your last nerve to not use that against her, <laughs> to not use yeah. all the examples you see and say this could be you. You are so lucky that you have your iPod and your iPhone. And, you know what I mean? Like how hard yeah, is well, it? you catch yourself? Well, so interestingly enough, it's the opposite around, uh, the opposite way around because. You know, I think I always use this example, like she's 13. The selective hearing is something that you have to deal with. The attitude, the rolling the eyes. Um, mm -hmm. I, I joke with her and I say that she really doesn't have a control over it because as soon as I open my mouth, her eyes are already rolling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I can choose to like nitpick on that and have a battle with her almost every instance of our kind of interaction. Mm -hmm. Or I can take a step back and look at the bigger picture and say, do I really want to argue with her over that? Like, mm -hmm. because she's a teen and she can't mm -hmm. control it. And it's part of her expression of like frustration. And in her world, I know that she feels like I'm just telling her what to do all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so it kind of helps me step back. And then also like in that situation, there was a day that I kept screaming like her name and mm -hmm. nothing. Like no, no movement, no. And it's like the fifth time. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is it. By the time I get to her, she's, that's, it's done. Mm -hmm. And I find her sitting in front of the YouTube on TV and singing the Encanto soundtrack. <laughs> and then I think, Grace, like she could be doing so much more worse. Yeah, it that, could be worse. Like, really, Yes. Yeah. So like, choose your battles, let it go. It's she's singing a song that's very appropriate, very much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so like, yeah. it just, it, it helps me kind of go into that direction yeah. and my like reevaluate my expectations and kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, just remind me that it, adolescence and childhood, like it's hard. It's not mm -hmm. easy. It's like as parents, I think we forget that is especially in the world that they live in now and the way that yeah. they operate with everything. So for me, it's just one of like those things. Like I see the kids that are with me in the program and the, some of the struggles that they deal with. Yeah. And it makes me come home and say, okay, you know what? So let me, she's doing really great. So she's not mm -hmm. doing what in my perfect world, mm -hmm. like my perfect kid would do, but she's doing good. And that's what in, in your view of your perfect kid, uh, do you look back at yourself at 13 and say, that was it? I nailed it? No. <laughs> or, or, you know what I mean? No, I actually don't because in through my journey, like through my parenting journey, like I feel like 
<clears throat> culturally, we have these really high expectations and unrealistic expectations of what our kids should be like um, or how they should behave. And so I don't, I think like, yes, I think I nailed it in a lot of ways, but I don't think I was necessarily nailing it because that was what I wanted. I think I was nailing it because I, I had no other choice. It was either you nail it or there's gonna be pretty severe consequences or punishment. Well, you, you and I, we lived, we grew up in a different context. And I think every, every parent faces that because every generation has to lie to itself. We grow up and we think we're going to apply the same stuff that we that our parents did, but it's a different context. So it doesn't and it's a different kid. It's a different time. It's a different, you know, everything changes. And that's something that I've been coming to terms with as well. I think it's funny, you know, before I forget, you said she was singing in canto. Benny's singing in canto. I think it's funny that my five-year-old is enjoying the same music that your 13-year-old. It says something about the music, why... but it's also... Yeah, that's why for me, it was one of those moments where I was like, you know what, she's 13 and she's just enjoying being a kid Yeah. in this instant. And it was a reminder of like, she, this is her time to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. It's not her time. Like there will be time to be a grown up and be an adult. And that Mm -hmm. like, I feel like I'm stuck in there. I'm like, when is adulting over? (laughs) When do we get to the (laughs) other end of it? So like yeah. I think about her and I'm like, you know what? She doesn't, you know, she's okay. She's she's doing her homework. She's going mm-hmm. to school. Like in the scheme of everything, she's doing really great. So when I saw her in September, she had this. I the, the first thing I saw I, I thought of when I saw her was uh Violet from The Incredibles mm-hmm. at the beginning when she has the hair half half across her face. <laughs> yes. And I thought that's and just she... that must be a universal experience. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because, so that's what I, like, that's another thing where I think about expectations. So she doesn't represent a typical kind of what you would expect from a typical, like, girl. Mm-hmm. And that she's not, like, super, like, complacent or, like, she actually has an attitude to her and a sass to her that it took me a long time to embrace it. Mm-hmm. And also kind of see the benefits of her having that because she does have a thicker, thicker skin. And she's somebody who in school, you know, things bother her, but she totally like it, it slides off like soon after. And I think nowadays you need that because like with social media and the peer pressure and the kids, the it's definitely a different world. Mm-hmm. Like every time I step in into their world, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like I would don't know how I would have survived yeah. the years of now with the, you know, just so much pressure. So the, so just for context, right, for everybody, uh, you and I are cousins. Uh, our moms are sisters. They are part of a family that have, I think, four four sisters, one brother, right? If I got that right. Mm-hmm. There might be one I'm forgetting that's on purpose that nobody likes. And we're not born in the in, in the US, but we're naturalized. So Devin, my younger brother, he's first generation American in our family. He's 20, 25 now, right? So all of our all of our siblings and cousins who are in their mid-20s are first generation American in our family. You and I, we're part of a very unique uh, club, uh, generationally. Part of the reason why it's called Zenial Dadcast is because you and I, on top of being sort of that connecting tissue from Bolivia to the United States, we're also 
the last generation that knew what it was like to live without the internet before the, the turn of the century. And yes. that makes us that, that makes us unique because we have characteristics. We're millennials. We're technically millennials for having been born in the, in the 80s. But we're also part of Generation X because uh, we know what it's like. Do you remember where you lived in Waltham when you were a kid? Like your address or your phone number? Yeah. So do I. And those things are ingrained. We're the last generation that had to memorize things. And our kids don't. For all intents and purposes, our kids are going to go their entire lives not needing to really memorize a phone number because they have it in the palm of their hand. You know, My kid is five, and he already knows my code to my tablet and my cell phone. He already knows how to find the YouTube app, the kid's YouTube app, the drawing app that he likes to play with. On one hand, it's amazing to see kids adapt so quickly to technology. And you know that he's going to live in a world where technology is like air. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not something that you feel or touch. It's just there all the time, right? On the other hand, you feel a little bit scared because even though maybe I don't need to memorize phone numbers anymore, there's, there's, a, there's a value to that skill. Cursive, doing your signature. I can't tell you how many times people younger than me have been impressed by my signature because I, I know how to do cursive and, I, and it's like a presidential signature. Yeah? Uh, so how do you feel about that with your kids? They are growing up in a world that's vastly different from yours. They're growing up with a different set of skills, different set of priorities. Is it, do you see it as tragic things that we're losing along the way? Or is it sort of like, let's look, let's look, uh, let's look ahead instead of backwards. I definitely think there's a loss. You know, they say like, um, I was reading some, I forget some, like I get a bunch of magazines for like psychology today and different mm -hmm. things like that. But I was reading an article like a few years ago mm -hmm. that they were saying like, like downtime, right? Like having, not having something to do, like mm -hmm. it actually allows for creativity. Not and knowing for, something, right? Not, yeah, not yeah. having something because you figure it out. Like you kind of like push yourself to think outside the box to do other things. I think the pandemic was somewhat of an example of that though. It did allow us to kind of break away from certain structures, like societal structures and kind of rethink and redo things. So I try to, what I try to do is try to balance that out by incorporating more things for my kids. What I've learned is that as the parent, you have to get on their level and you have to be able to kind of do it with them. So for instance, like I am, so I'm, I'm embracing some of the, like the newer things and technology and everything with them, but I'm also trying to push them into the other world. So you know, making them kind of like do things that we used to do, bring back things that were like, hey, in my times, we used to do this, want to do this, like, let me teach you this. <laughs> and sometimes it like, they get yeah. by, you know, like in sometimes it's a buy in. <laughs> but, and I think that's what's nice about having um, like a, a soon to be 13 year old and then a nine year old is that we're finally at this place where they both can like participate in these type of activities. Mm -hmm you know, listening to even old, old school music. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's been like an emphasis now for like throwbacks and like listening to like nineties music. Oh yeah. And so, and so it's been really nice because I totally kind of embrace that and, and, and tell them, I'm like, listen to this, let's do this. And I try to oh, teach so them. Great. So, 
So like, interestingly enough, like on our playlist in the morning is, um, what is this? Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre's California Love. Yeah. And they just love it. And they Absolutely. like just play it over Timeless. like Will Smith, like <laughs> yeah. is on our playlist. Like everything that I sort of used to listen to, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's coming back and I'm finally getting like to enjoy it with them. Are you sneaking so in I, a little bit of uh Bush and NSYNC? Is that? Yeah. <laughs> so like, so like, I think that that's the, you know, it's like, it's trying to like, I think we can't change the fact that technology and everything has taken over mm-hmm. and it's going to continue to, because it's just yeah. kind of like the innovating and ways that we have to move ahead. But it's like in the middle of all that, how can you still, maintain and hold on to some things that are still traditional and still like really really important so that's wild because i'll tell you when you when you even in our experience growing up in the 90s when you hear especially comics right when they grew up in the 70s and 80s and they talk about how their parents would just let them off and go get lost and they, they would come back hours later and and have dinner we don't that doesn't happen as much anymore especially in a affluent family if you know it's almost like the more suburban you get, the less of that community there is that we had in the projects when we were young. And so you have parents having to be more proactive in our generation than they ever did before to do exactly what you just said, is to sort of ground people, ground them, uh, expose them to older stuff, good stuff. It's amazing what role the kids' movies play because now they all have soundtracks with old songs in them. Yeah, like we just Benny, got... Benny was watching Minions and it has like a Boys to Men song. you have to create that and that's what's hard you have to create that sense of community for them you have to instill those values so for instance in my journey in parenting I'm definitely not a model parent in what my mom or anybody else's eyes would be Mm -hmm. I frequently um, argued with my mom because she disagrees with a lot of my parenting skills and my parenting choices. Wow. But I think that every parent has to kind of assess the route that they want to go down and the, the path that they want to take with their kids. And I, for one, am one that is like, I... I appreciate my uh, my kids having voices and being able to sort of speak up about things that matter to them. And, you know, like it was very different than my experience growing up because it's pretty much very author- authoritarian as in like, you don't really speak unless I ask you to speak and mm-hmm. whatever you say doesn't really matter. And so my kids don't have that. And they have this, they have opinions and they mm-hmm. have very strong opinions at times and they are very verbal and, and, and expressive in ways that I think culturally is like, are you going to really allow him to, to say that to you? Or are you going to really allow him to talk like that? Or are you going to allow her? But I'm trying to, I'm trying to really think about the skills that are necessary in order to be successful as an adult mm-hmm. and being able to kind of stand, stand your ground and being able mm-hmm. to feel safe to like speak up is important. And so like, yeah. So like, you know, that's I, an interesting point. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's sort of the difference between, like you said, it's authoritative. That's how you, how you grew up versus having, having a, a safe space to speak your mind and speak up when something's not right. So it's funny you say that. That conversation gets lost, and I hope that when we become grandparents, we're able to have, we're able to be enlightened grandparents. You and I had different 
experiences when we first had our, our when we had our first kid. You had your family around you, so you had everybody, and I had. I was very lucky. My mom got to visit us right when Benny was born for two weeks, three weeks, something like that. But then when she left, we were sort of left to our own devices. We sort of figured out ourselves how to how to how to raise him and what the rules were going to be. Now that he's five. It's it's really amazing how he they develop a personality, and they start developing sort of preferences, not opinions, but preferences of things they want. And you, as a parent, you have to retrain yourself to listen to them because you're not used to listening to them. You're sort of like when they're when they're babies and before they walk and talk and stuff, they they're, they're like pets. You know, you're sort of just taking care of them and feeding them, and you know. But now that they're people, now he's going to school. He's he's got things to do, right? He wakes up, I go, I need some coffee. He goes, I need some, I need some chocolate milk. And we both go to the kitchen and we get our stuff, you know? Yeah. So you have to retrain. And I had this conversation with his mother the other day because she was asking him something about uh, about what food he ate and, or what food he wanted. And she said, do you want me to make you some eggs? And he said, no. And she thought he wasn't understanding. And I had to stop her and say, just, just listen to him. If he doesn't want eggs, he's not going to eat the eggs. You know, mm-hmm. just ask him what he wants. And we took an early on approach where we, we made sure that all the things that we wanted him to be able to access are accessible to him, like fruits, bananas, things that he could easily grab. So he's very independent. So we know that when he wants something, we know that he wants it, that he, it's something that he wants. I think um, I've definitely been, especially here in Bolivia, you, you see other parents and the way they talk to their kids, how they pull them away, sometimes screaming from the park, you know, uh, we've been very lucky because with the approach we have, Benny rarely screams out of a park. You know, he never does it. He, there were a couple of tantrums early on, but part of it was just listening to what he wanted and making sure that we were prioritizing his needs almost more than ours at some point. You know, like I would always, I, I always took this approach with Benny where if we're going to go to the park, it's his time. Right. If I'm going to say, listen, we're going to go to the park, I'm not going to say for a half hour and expect them to understand what a half hour is. Right. So mm-hmm. we're going to go to the park. I'm going to let him knock himself out. And then when he when he's ready to leave, he'll leave nice and easy. And he knows that we'll be back. So we built that trust so that he knows that when I tell him we're going to come back and go have fun. If you're hungry, let's go here. If you want to go to the bathroom, let's go there. You know? It's mm-hmm. all about building that trust. And I think that's something that our parents sometimes forget about because they're so worried and they're so they're so worried about how it's how you're gonna turn out and what, what effect that's gonna have. Yeah. But a couple of years ago there was this crazy story on the news. Well not not even a story, they were like announcing this this uh this study that had come out and it was a preliminary study. But the preliminary findings of the study was that spending more than for kids under the age of 10 spending more than 30 minutes looking at a tablet screen Mm -hmm. uh, provided the same effect as uh like cocaine a hit of cocaine and it's like it's inflammatory and it's fear-mongering there isn't i don't think there's a parent in the world who would who would who could honestly keep their kids from playing video games or watching a video or singing to some songs and those studies end up pushing opinions that aren't really accurate right they're not really fully formed they're just maybe there's some like obviously when we watch a screen whether you're playing a video game or big screen watching a tv it does it does create a chemical reaction in your brain 
But to say that it's the same as taking a hit of cocaine is just inflammatory and it ends up forming uh, bad opinions, you know? And I think it's stuff like that, that in the last 50 years with technology and all these studies have really poisoned, poisoned the, uh, the opinion pool, right? Do you limit screen time for your kids at all? No, I mean, well, I shouldn't say no. Mm -hmm. um, we aim to have like a somewhat of a limit. So a cutoff time and kind of we negotiate what's reasonable, like on a day that there is no school and what's reasonable on a day that there is school, what's mm -hmm. reasonable for vacation. But it is very hard. And to be quite honest, it's it's very challenging um, for a parent to be able to stick to those to those limitations or boundaries that you set. And that is the only way, like if you're consistent sticking to them, then kids won't have such a hard time adapting to that and kind of like, okay, this is how it goes. But if you're somebody who is busy because you're working and also trying to manage your household, cooking, mm -hmm. whatever else you might have as responsibilities. And so from one day you realize that oh my gosh I was supposed to turn off the electronics like an hour ago mm -hmm. um, and then the next day you try to go that's not going to work it's going to fail because you need the consistency and they're going to tamper tantrum because you've sent mixed messages mm -hmm. you've let them know that on some days for some reason they don't know why it's okay to play longer and other days it's not right mm -hmm. and so for me I know like that's exactly kind of what you say you don't make promises you can't keep you don't say things that you're not going to be able to because they will they will remember or they will bring it back and it does come back. So mm -hmm. for us, it's a negotiation and it's kind of like sometimes it's on a weekly basis, sometimes <laughs> it's on a daily basis, depending on what happens. And it's kind of been like, I limit it only because Sammy definitely, I see it in both my kids, mm -hmm. but they definitely have a flair of like ADHD. Mm -hmm. and Sammy's nine it, you said right and Sammy's nine yeah. and yeah and so but I also say that it has it has to do with our social kind of like society like the school the rigidity that we have in schools the focus mm -hmm. that the, like such a strong focus on testing and less opportunities for like just like creative time yeah. doing it like outdoors that you get to burn energy you know it's really hard and with the pandemic we lost all of that so I think yeah. I saw within him more of a struggle and I do see him getting into that zone where like I've played too long and now like this isn't even fun for him because he's starting to like yeah have like meltdowns every yeah. yeah yeah where I'm like I'll be like hey take a step back remember this was be fun like let's do this but um yeah no I don't I wish we were a household that didn't have to have electronics but I can't even honestly I can't even do stop myself from doing it enough electronics and I think it has to be modeled so and I think you know there hasn't been enough there's just not enough data out there but it's I think in the same way that you could say the rise in coca-cola sales in the past hundred years have have led us to high number of obesity rates it may not be the direct cause, but it definitely has something to do with it. The fact that Coca-Cola is a global company and sells as much and does as much as, as it does, it's going to have an effect on our health. In the same way that the fact that in the last 30 years, we've seen this technological revolution, obviously going to change the way we learn and comprehend. And so more kids 
And I think this is reflective in the in the studies. More kids are going to have symptoms, symptom-like ADHD characteristics, simply because we live in a world where they just don't need to pay attention for that long. It's just not necessary. And, well, I think um, they get bombarded. There's so many external, even like yeah. the notifications. You know, I, I say this because I actually um, am an adult with ADHD mm-hmm. <laughs> or ADD, and I never even realized it until my adulthood. Mm-hmm. And then I, then like when I was struggling, I, I like looked into it. And I'm like, okay, it's because I can't focus. And mm-hmm. It really is. It's like when you have too many things to focus on and too many things sort of like open windows, all your responsibilities Mm -hmm. so hard. But like, I can't even do like people. um, I purposely have a Fitbit Mm -hmm. because I cannot do anything that has like technology because my attention, I won't even need to do the apps and my I'll I'll spend 30 minutes just playing around (laughs) with like organizing my apps on my watch and i'm just like i just wasted time so i just think it's it's more of a that like i try to teach them about just like being more aware of their time and what they have and what they can do and also it's one of those things that that definitely blows my mind because we are the first generation of parents that have to think about that technology and balancing like you know in the in with the same analogy that i used earlier where our kids, you know, technology, Wi-Fi signal is going to be like having air to breathe. But at the same time, uh, you'll die without air. You don't die without Wi-Fi. And so yeah. we sort of have to manage that. Here, here in Bolivia, we had, we had like, a, like a drought a couple years ago. And it got, it got so bad that they had, to, they had to turn off the water supply for certain, for certain areas of the city from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. just to conserve water. And I thought at the time, like, they should do that with Wi-Fi. They should do that with the internet. Like, Intel, the internet company here, should just be like, you know, we think from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., you don't need to look at anything on the internet. Watch TV, be with your kids, you know? It would help us all out. You know, I think on a sanity level. All right, we're going to pause there just for a handful of minutes while we check out today's band to dig out. It is a soulful singer. Abby Barrett, Boston-based singer-songwriter who I've been uh, following for a while now. And she has one of these voices that just captivates me every time I listen to one of her songs. So let's take a listen to this one released in 2008 called Stillborn by Abby Barrett.
didn't have enough time with technology to assess its pros and cons. And I think the technology grew and spread faster than any parent could possibly understand it. I remember our first, uh, you know, when we had a computer at the house, our first uh, email with AOL. Yeah. You know, I remember being in like eighth grade or seventh grade, knowing the first kid in our class that had a, an email account. And then all of a sudden everyone had email accounts, you know? I remember, yeah. being, I remember being the last one of my friends who got a cell phone, one of those flip phones. And so we, we had this really unique experience where we have to consider those things and how they affect our kids as they grow up and, and understand. And at the same time, we, there, there isn't a, a course or a class in high school or anything that teaches you about how to handle technology. Did you take anything in, in university that would talk about technology or 
like safety online or anything like that? No, I didn't. I didn't personally take anything, but it's definitely a parental struggle of many. Yeah. And so in my time working, um, as obviously now I oversee a like staff, but when I was actually doing the work, I, I was uh, an intensive in-home family therapist for a long time. So even before I had, or even when my kids were little and I wasn't, I was already working with families that were struggling with different kind of Um, issues and so I knew right along like you know Melanie she got a cell phone this last at 12 um, Mm -hmm. because initially I had set it at 13 and I was not going to give her a phone until 13 but I think this is the struggle that most parents have is like I ended up having a middle schooler and an elementary school age kid who both got out kind of at the same time and I couldn't be at both places at once and so obviously I had to pick up the younger one because it would be totally unsafe to let the younger one sit while I picked up the older one but <laughs> in the meantime I wanted to be able to communicate with the older one and be able to be like hey I'm gonna be down there I'm gonna almost be there um and they're actually almost like 20 minutes away so it was more of a safety of course and there, there are days I regret it I'm not gonna lie because I see that phone glued to her hand mm-hmm. and and like, that's probably one of the biggest reasons why we argue most of the time. But on the other hand, I think that, I mean, there's safety and you want to make sure that you can get to your kids or if you're running behind. So it's kind of like you, you outweigh the pros and the cons and you go with whatever. But Sammy doesn't have one yet, although he thinks that he's the one who's like dying and eager to get one because... Yeah he struggles more with he's into gaming and Mm -hmm. gaming has like consumed him and it's kind of like and youtube too and so like that is like what he would like to do with life um (laughs) it's it's a harder it's a it's a harder um well that's interesting too because it's also there's also that other that other balance where you 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 say well if i if i take if i if I reject their, what's the right word? If I, uh, if I deny him this forbidden fruit, he's just going to want it more. So it's like, all right, why don't I just give you what you want so that you don't think it's that great? You know, maybe that backfires. I've done that with Benny on certain things where, you know, I know that I, know that, uh, I don't want him to be eating gummy bears all the time. I can't let him have gummy bears for breakfast. But if that's the only thing he wants and he's five, like, all right, have your gummy bears and then you're going to have a banana. We negotiate that way. And it's like, you have a banana. Yeah, have gummy you bears. Have and at least it takes away that forbidden aspect of it where he thinks, oh, I can't have that thing that I really want. And as parents, you have to make that, you have to kind of make your deal with the devil that way. Yeah, you do. And then that's kind of what I was saying. Like, I think that you need to figure out what is, you know, like what is the, the cost benefit the lesser of evils i guess yeah you have yeah. to like kind of like okay i don't want him to have a phone but then like and he doesn't but mm-hmm. you know it's actually funny that you say that because he has like an old iphone that's not connected to a line uh-huh. um so he has to be like on wi-fi to actually like be able to do anything he uses it like a tablet yeah basically. but he'll say he'll be like 
I've got my phone and I'm like, well, it's not really a phone. You can tell people you have a phone, but it's not really a phone. <laughs> and sometimes um, it's just that. that. They just want to be able to say they got something. Yeah, we did it with him just because it was a t- like it was yeah. it's available. An old phone. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, exactly. It was a t- yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely like it's it's trial and error. And honestly, I I genuinely feel that every family has to make decisions that are best for and that are in line and best for their family the dynamics Mm -hmm. the things that you value right like I'm not a big I'm not a huge person of like pushing academics Mm -hmm. like I just I'll say that really loud and clear because I do think I I do think having education is important but I don't think it's the only thing that's important I also think kids having social and emotional um skills as equally important and so I'm proud to say that like in my effort in my efforts to really promote the social piece and the emotional side of my kids and kind of like go a little bit the academic piece I've been successful in the sense of like I have two kids who hit high honors or high or honor roll kind of consistently but I don't have to make homework time unbearable for them. And I don't have to be like, show me that you can do. I try to just be like, you have to do your homework and that's it. And as long as you do it right, like Sammy, I'm telling you the ADHD, he finishes his homework in like 10 minutes. Sometimes like it, because he doesn't want to like actually write things down, he works the problems in his head. He's actually really good at math, which is amazing to me because he beats me and Melanie. Like any math problems were like <laughs> me and her dumped and he's already like figured it out. But like, I rather him get his homework done and maybe he doesn't show all the work than be that parent who's like, show me the work, show me that you're doing the homework in the way that I think you should do homework. Mm-hmm. And whereas like, okay, you did your homework, how you did your homework, I guess it doesn't matter to me as long as you did it. Like whether you did it, like, you know, like he doesn't sit on a table half the time. He sits on the floor, he lays on the floor. But like, it's just things that I think like, I know my mom would have been like, my mom would be like, you need to sit at the the table and you need to be firm and you need to do all this. And like, I tried that with him and it didn't work. Like we ended up spending two hours fighting over our homework that maybe had to take 30 minutes or if Sammy does it his way, 10 minutes. Yeah. And it's like, at the end of the day, I think what matters is whether they are learning. They, and honestly, like he reads books sometimes, like, like, I feel like he's skimming. I'm like, did you really just read that? Like, I'm like, read it out loud to me. Cause I don't think. And when I ask him to like, tell me the story he's actually able to tell me more details than even I pay attention to so I'm like you know what you're good <laughs> you got this awesome. um so I think you just have to kind of build on their strengths and like not try to hammer down like a kid like fitting those I those expectations or those are like kind of like kids should learn like this or kids mm-hmm. should do this because every kid is unique and every kid is different and everyone at the end of the day, you just want them to be successful, whatever way that is. And I mean, I measure, I think we all measure success differently. So mm-hmm. me, it's just them kind of being productive and feeling good about themselves. Of course. I think uh, I, I want to make sure that Benny grows up with, um, I want him to read an article here, have a book there, 
you know, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be technology and, and maybe it'll be a Kindle. But I realized this because, you know, Devin, who's 25, uh, he doesn't really read. He reads things that sort of interest him, but it's not like he's watching the news or he's not listening. So a lot of a lot of the episodes we did, it's really just about me um, trying to share things with him. For his last, for I think uh, Christmas or, or his last birthday, I got him a book. I got him a book that I know he would enjoy reading. That would be really interesting for him to read. He still hasn't read it. So I just, I just want him to, it's not like, maybe he just doesn't have access to books. Maybe he just doesn't have a book sitting around. Like no one's given him a book before. So I just gave him a book from Amazon and I sent it to him. I'm just hoping that one day he's just like bored out of his mind. He's like, I just need to read something to, to you know, get over this girl or whatever. And he just picks up the book and starts reading. No, yeah, I think you're on, I think you're on to something. And I think as parents, you know, that's where I think like our parents sort of failed is in like actually doing and participating, right? Because there's this idea, um, it's funny because you said it like, there's an idea of parents can be present, meaning their bodies are there. We see them every day and yet not really be actively parenting and actively involved. And that's one of the things that I try to work on myself is, and it doesn't have to be all day. So I am not the type of parent that you would see on TV. I wish I was that had breakfast laid out for the kids and like, here you go, sweetie pie, like here's everything. I'm not because like I'm working full time and managing a program. So like I'm running around, sometimes they're like crazies, phone calls I get and like it, it really does, it makes it harder. But I try to from my day, a block of time in my day to really make it, it's kind of what you said with you and Benny in the park, really make it about them. Yeah. And get into their world and share something with them and allow them to open up and express. So, you know, I feel, I genuinely feel that my kids have a good relationship with me in the sense of like, oh yeah, I can tell my mom those things. Or yeah, I would totally talk to her about that because I allow them to. And, and nowadays like kids, I mean, I don't know what it's like in Bolivia, but I can tell you what it's like here that at probably middle school, like this whole idea of gender identity is now like a huge topic so forget sexual orientation because that was something that was like we were exploring like years ago like now <laughs> it's not even like that it's gender identity what do i identify with and it's also about kids like so my kids are really comfortable in saying melanie's will be like well i don't know what i i don't know if i i don't know if i'll have a boyfriend or a girlfriend i don't know what i'll have and i think that my role in that is just kind of sitting and being like you don't have to decide now, take your time. Um, but I don't have to push her or sway her anyway. And she does have that opportunity, but that like, you know, we have stuffed animals that have different genders assigned to them because that's their world that they, and like Sammy will say, this is my stuffed animal. And he identifies as a she and her, like her name, her gender, her. So Melanie actually was so, wow. so different. Melanie refers to her friends as they, because there's a huge push here for to be gender um, neutral, neutral and friendly for individuals who have a different gender identity. So now instead of like just saying he, him or, or her, or whatever we say, they, 
they, them, and theirs. And so half the time, Melanie will be like, yeah, they're coming. Or they, they, they said this. And so I'll be like, oh, do they identify as that? She's like, no, it's just easier to just say they. And so I think as an approach, it's even changed, like, weirdly enough, but here we're changing even the language and the way we were like to like refer to one another. So I think that's important. I think how you say things and the words you use to, to describe things, it's massively important. It's, you know, you said you, 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 uh, you manage a program and the words matter. The words matter in your profession. The words matter in the meetings that I'm in. If I say the wrong words and it doesn't get communicated effectively, I'm in trouble. Something gets lost in the in the communication chain. So if it's if it matters in business, of course it's going to matter with how we talk about ourselves, how we talk about our families. You know, and I don't see. I haven't heard that here, but I don't it's know. It's coming your way, is what it's I'm coming. saying. It's coming. It's coming. Olivia is <laughs> maybe coming, ten years so. before. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. you'll be like, oh, this is what Grace was talking about, like when yeah. she was dealing with, like, you don't know, no, for so, real, because it's definitely. Um, definitely I, new new for me our generation is is sort of at that cross of of the technology technological revolution uh the change of the millennium and just norms changing all over the place that i think we are we are open enough to those changes and i think it could only be our generation who would be open enough to those changes that that, that we're gonna we're gonna be seeing with them i think it's interesting I, I'm, I'm not like it's funny you say that because I'm trying to I'm trying to have an opinion about it, but I just don't. I I'm okay with it. I think it's fine uh, as long as it keeps everyone safe and and no one's throwing rocks at anybody. Uh, I think. Yeah. It's a good thing. I honestly, you know? it's more yeah. of like, I think the biggest thing is like so I so I I like to share this only because. Um, a lot of parents struggle you, as you can imagine like when your child starts to not only just like discuss whether they have a different sexual orientation but also then maybe having a different gender identity and what this means and obviously it's it definitely creates a lot of fear because there's still a lot a big stigma in in society um but I've tried to go the route of like okay let's explore it together and let's just rather than me try to push you away from it kind of what you're saying like and like make that a taboo type of discussion hey let me embrace it in the sense of like yeah I think it matters for people to be to be able to be free and express themselves but I also think that hey everything happens there's a time and place for everything and right now specifically with my kids I'm like if this if you don't feel a sense that you need to be identifying your gender, there's no need to do that. Like you don't have to be pushed to do that unless you feel inside, like this is something I need to do. Yeah. Um, and I've sort of been able to kind of, you know, I think reel them in a little bit from like kind of just going off of what friends are saying and then kind of going into that with themselves. But um, but I, I think it, it's really important because the opposite is, you're pushing them to be very isolated from you mm-hmm. and further away. And so. And potentially not, not, not knowing how to accept it around them. Right. And. I or think, not even, yeah. Or, or even you know, like understanding it. Cause even like, if it's hard for us to sort of wrap our heads around it, it's definitely hard for them who like are also in the middle of 
like so many transitions. So I just think about that and I'm like, okay, so let's just talk about this and let me just, um, and so like we embrace the fact that Sammy has stuffed animals who might be transgender because he'll say that he'll be like my my bear's transgender and I'm like okay that's fine or he'll say stuff like you know like he just he just like openly sort of shares these ideas like the other day he said to me you know what I'm gonna get a pink uh, a pink chair and I'm like oh yeah I do you want to get a pink chair he's like yeah, because I want to prove that like we can get pink chairs and boys can get any colors. And so I think it's just supporting them and being open and, and able to be expressive. Yeah, of course. So I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. Me too. Because um, this is like something that I, like I said, I've been like going through this journey myself in life of trying to figure where I fit in as a parent and what things I well you know it's like uh, it's like you said in some aspects our parents failed but you also can't really blame them for being ignorant about about these things and you also you know our specific family both uh, our moms lost their parents when they were very young so they didn't even have the chance to have the conversations they were able to have with them you know Absolutely. And one of the things that drove me to start doing this is because I know that my mom, uh, she's in her 50s now, I will never be able to have a conversation with my mom at 36. I'm 36 years old now, right? And we change so much. And so much of parenting is about allowing yourself to keep learning as your kids grow. So I always think about, well, I'm making this podcast. I'm 36 years old. God forbid something happens to me, but my kid's never going to be able to have a conversation with me when I'm, when I'm, you know, 80, 50, whatever, I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to have different perspectives and, you know, he's not going to be able to ask me things that a 36 year old might want to ask. And I'm never going to be able to talk to my mom at 36. So what, what would you say, or what, what advice do you think you would give your kids now as a 36 year old woman to them in their thirties, maybe when they're when they're parents and they're grappling with raising their kids for the first time. You know that maybe your opinion as a mom at that time, as a grandmother at that time, isn't going to be the best opinion that they're going to look out for. So what would you say as a peer to your to your daughter? Um, it's a loaded question, I know. But I yeah, wonder, like, I, I wonder, would, like, what, what, what piece of I advice say, could, you, could you give her? I think I would say... I think you said it in like where you said like we never stop learning and that's really important. We never stop learning and that's what matters. I think as a parent um, or as a human being, the more we kind of reevaluate ourselves and reflect, the better we we become and the more you know knowledgeable or wiser. So I think I would just say to her that or Sammy that parenting is a journey. And it, it is, and it's, it starts with us, right? Identifying our own kind of areas that we might need to work on, that we might need to focus on our struggles because it's closely related to that. And so the more that we're able to work on ourselves and the more that we're able to heal from whatever it is in our own childhood that might have impacted us the more able would be able to deal with whatever happens with our kids. But, you know, ultimately I think that that's, that's it. It's like, no one really, no one writes a book about 
except for like those like one-on-one parenting books which mm. I don't even know if they're really valuable <laughs> to be <laughs> honest but but no one really tells you the type of life that you're supposed to have and nobody tells you what life will throw at you in different circumstances and it's just about kind of taking a step back and just knowing that from every obstacle or opportunity that life gives you there's something to take from it and do that right on okay well thanks i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go this is good catching up grace i hope you're good yeah yeah i'm glad you talked to me on something that i totally understand parenting it's it's funny it's funny because like like i said we we sort of had baby we, we had benny in an isolated kind of way we it was just us we didn't have a lot of family around and I realized that I, we just had to make it up as we go. And most people just have to make it up as they go. And there isn't a lot out there for fathers that I found. There's a couple of things, a couple of other podcasts and, and things like that. But there isn't a lot that really talks about that journey that you go when you become a father for the first time. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so or- I think that that's definitely something that is totally worth exploring further in our discussions because. Mm-hmm. Fathers play such an important role, so important in the life of children. And it's completely connected to also like how you develop as an adult or the adult that you become and also the parent that you are able to become. So for me, that has definitely been part of my journey. But yeah, I think we should totally continue on this topic. We could do a whole episode about our parents. It's just a lot. Oh there. my like, gosh. Yes, we could. Yes, we could. All right, Grace. Thanks a lot. All right. So, really Have a good night. Uh, Take care. Bye. Yeah. Say hi to everyone, okay? Yeah, yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the show. Uh, I want to thank Grace for hanging out with us and sharing so much of her motherly insight with us on this episode. And Let's listen to one more track from Abby Barrett. This is from a 2014 album called The Triples uh, by Abby Barrett and The Last Date. Song is called Here to Stay. It's the opener and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for listening. This is Mo. Peace.
say